Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructor. For you have one instructor, the Christ, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Hypocrisy is obviously the theme and the subject of the passage that we're in. In fact, if we go on reading from there into the rest of chapter 23, we'll find Jesus will continually refer to the Pharisees by a few different terms. One of them, and the most prominent one probably, is hypocrites. And the passage identifies that, that we just read now, because it says about the Pharisees and the scribes, it says that they preach something that they do not practice. Hypocrisy, unfortunately, is probably the leading reason that people give for not going to church. They say that within the church there is hypocrisy. Uh, To be honest, I've not really found it to be so myself in uh, churches that I've been a part of in my life from the time I was about 20 years old and came to Christ and started participating in churches. I found that they're usually full of a lot of good and genuine people. Now, obviously, there's going to be some level of hypocrisy, maybe you could say, because uh, all of us, I think, strive for a better goal than we can reach sometimes. And so, but I don't think that that necessarily failing to reach the mark that we're striving to live up to is necessarily hypocrisy. I think hypocrisy is pretending to reach that mark and proclaiming that or foisting that upon other people as we see in these religious leaders' life today. People will list hypocrisy within the church as a reason that they don't go to church. Sometimes I, I question whether they have been there enough to see if there's really hypocrisy in there and experiences it. The way that I have. I also wonder if they're consistent in that. Because I would I would dare say that there's got to be a fair amount of hypocrisy floating around the liquor store. But I've never heard that be a reason for somebody to stay out of there. Uh, you can find hypocrisy in many places. But to be very fair, um, man, if the church can't be held to a higher standard than the liquor store, then we got problems. Right? And so we want to be, we want to be very, very careful. And Jesus, in his judgment and his scathing rebuke of the religious leaders of the day, makes quite the statement against hypocrisy. It's not anything new. The church of today is not experiencing anything that the apostles didn't experience. In fact, it's not anything that Jesus didn't experience. You know, a lot of times we think, well, why why is there hypocrisy within the church? Why is there that struggle? If the apostles couldn't get rid of it, if Jesus couldn't get rid of it, then we're probably not going to extinguish it altogether ourselves. One of the parables that Jesus talked about said the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer that went out and sowed his seed in the field and then the enemy comes in and sows weeds all amongst it and you know what's going to happen with the king is the wheat and the weeds grow up together until the harvest time and then he'll separate it at that time. And so we see that happening definitely within our world and unfortunately even within within the church. We're going to continue to struggle with insincere people and false teachers within the church down through the ages. In fact, the Bible points that it would get worse. We see it already present in Jesus' day as he confronts these religious leaders. We see it in the Apostles' day, in Peter's epistle, in his second epistle. He would say, but false prophets also arose among the people. So he's looking back at Israel's history 
And he's saying, look, Israel had false prophets among the people. But then he goes on from there and he says, just as there will be. So he goes from Israel's past. They had false prophets. And he goes to then their future. says, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. You know, I've, I remember uh, many years ago studying through and, and just realized how much of the Bible is given to us as a correction of false teaching and false teachers. It's all throughout it. In fact, in, in the Corinthian church, there was a lot of things that needed to be corrected. And that's why we get those books, especially in the second letter to the Corinthians. There are these false teachers, these false apostles that had set themselves up as authorities within the church. And a lot of second Corinthians is battling against those false teachers. In second Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul would write to him and said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And notice what he's saying there is that these people had accepted some false teachers that were teaching things, oh, it all had the same names. They were talking about Jesus. They were talking about the gospel. They were talking about the spirit. And he said, but you know what? When you look at the details, it's a different Jesus. It's not the same Jesus. It's a different gospel. It's a different spirit. And so he said, you've got false teachers among you. And he says, but I'm afraid for you because just like Eve was sucked in by the serpent, you guys are being, you're sucked in. You're, you're accepting these people. A few verses later, he would say, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And it's no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. And so even during the Apostle Paul's day, where he's starting these churches, and he's going back and visiting these churches to try to establish them, make them firm in their faith, and their understanding and their knowledge of Jesus Christ, there were false teachers. There were insincere, hypocritical teachers that were setting themselves up within the church. In fact, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul mentions it there too, and he talks about people coming in and teaching a different gospel. And he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You know, the Apostle Paul would warn Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he'd tell him, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In his second letter to Timothy, he would tell him, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I could go on. Second John is all about, mostly about false teaching. Jude, 
is about false teaching. Thessalonians, there were some people teaching some false things about the resurrection that he needed to correct for them to establish their hope firm. So much of our New Testament comes to us because there was a lot of insincere, hypocritical, false teaching among the early church. And you know what? It, it, it exists today. So standing up in pulpits all around, all over the world today, are, you're going to find some insincere and hypocritical teachers that are not teaching the truths of the Word of God, that are t- teaching people things that their passions want to hear, the comforting messages. And you know what? It should not be so among us. We need to strive. We need to be strive to be consistent with the Word of God. We need to strive to avoid hypocrisy on any level. If, if anything should be said of us, within our communities, if anything, and it, and it should stand out more in our communities because our community is small, which means that everybody in the community knows who you are. If you were living in a large city, your neighbor wouldn't know things about you. In a small community, it's much easier to be known for who you are. And let me tell you, if we're known to be anything in our community, let us be known to be real. Let's be real. Not hypocrites. Not perfect. We're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to struggle, but we need to be real. We need to be honest with who we are. Well, as we look at this passage today, that's what I'd like to consider is how do we handle hypocrisy, handling hypocrisy. I'd like to kind of deal with two different areas. One, I want to deal with the character of hypocrisy, and then we'll look at our responsibility in dealing with it after that. First of all, as we look at the character of hypocrisy, I see some elements within the passage that we can identify. The first one is that hypocrisy is insensitive. Notice it says, Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. And notice in verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You see, they're insensitive to other people. It says that they take these burdens and they set it on other people's shoulder. They put standards and they put rules and regulations and laws on people's shoulders. They foist them on people, but they themselves are not willing to live by the same standard. That's the kind of thing that strikes fear in my heart, to be honest with you, because i I, I got to preach this book. And I'll be the first one to tell you that I don't measure up to this book. I'm striving to measure up to this book, but I don't measure up to this book. And there's, there's times where I'm getting ready to stand before you. Today will be one of them. Where I'm getting ready to stand before you and I think, God, <laughs> I, I'm struggling with this. I'm striving with this. I should, probably shouldn't be the one to say it. But I've got to stand up and hold the Bible up for what it says and for what it teaches, not for what I can hold up to you of it. And so at times I struggle with that and I just say, God, I, I want, I'm getting better. I'm working. <laughs> I want to be better. But... Because the truth of the Word of God needs to be proclaimed whether I'm good at it or not. But you know what? If I'm, if I'm not striving for the same thing, then I'm a hypocrite. I'm no better than these scribes and Pharisees. And people would have good reason not to come here. I like the way that it puts it. It kind of rings a bell with me because it says they put these things on other people's shoulders. You know, that was one of the things as being a carpenter for many, many years, one of the things that I learned very early on is how important shoulders are. My first job as a carpenter was as a laborer. And you're just... All you're doing is hauling wood all day. The lead man on the, on the crew was reading the blueprints and laying everything out. The second man was nailing everything together. In order for him to have something to nail together, I had to take it from the sidewalk and get it up onto the platform and put it where it needed to go for him to be able to nail it all together. And so that was my job. I wanted to be able to nail things together 
I knew there's no, I don't get to nail anything together as long as they still need boards. So my idea was, if I can get to the boards to them faster than they can nail them together, they'll have to let me nail something together at some time. And so I'm trying to pick up as much lumber as I can carry, and I'm going as fast as I can go with it. And I've noticed my back's getting really tired. And somebody told me, don't carry it in front of you. Get it on your shoulder. And so then I would kind of get the boards and get them up, and I could get to where I could carry a pretty tall stack of studs right here on my shoulder. I could run over there with that, and then I could swing it down like this and shump, 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 lay them down where they go in the wall. And uh, there I am doing gestures. Lee always tells me afterwards, you know, Pop, they can't see that on the radio when that gets on there. But, <laughs> but I lay those things out on the wall, and then I could run back and get another stack. And you know what? I noticed how much easier it was. You get it up on your shoulder. You're not carrying it out of balance. It's just right up straight. You can stand up vertical. You can carry so much more weight up there on your shoulder. That's why he's pointing this out. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He knows these things. He said, you're taking, you're putting the load right on the shoulder, the part that they can carry the most. You're like overloading the shoulder. You're overloading these people with a load that they can hardly stand up under. And Jesus says, you Pharisees, you put that kind of load on people, on the strongest part of them, you're overloading them, something they still can't carry on the strongest part of them, but you won't take out and move that with your one. If the shoulder is our strongest ability to carry a load, I would have to say our finger is probably the weakest. So these people are insensitive. They're not merciful. They're not compassionate toward the people that they're heaping all these laws and regulations on and piling this burden on, pressuring them in their, not only are they insensitive, they're insincere. It says in verse 5, it says they do all of their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their, their fringes long. Everything that they do is, he says, for the purpose of being seen by others. Now, we already know that they're insincere because it says they, they preach something, but they don't practice it, so they can't be sincere in that. But then he goes right to their motivation. Their heart's motivation is to be seen by others. It's all about image. I was taking a class called Lives of Great Preachers, and I got lots of great quotes from great men out of that that I used to write in a margin of an old Bible that I had. And I remember one of the quotes that stood out in my mind. It says, guard your character and let your reputation take care of itself. If you're doing what's right, your, your reputation will take care of itself. People will know you to be who you are, somebody that's doing right. But these people were the opposite. They weren't concerned about their character, which is who they really are. They were concerned more about their reputation, how they appeared to other people. He said they make broad their phylacteries. The phylacteries were a little box, right? And they had a couple little boxes that they do. They had one that's based on Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would take and they would tie one. It had a, a, a little leather strap on it. And they would tie it on their head in this little container would hang down on their forehead. They would do this during daily prayers and different festivals. And it had portions of Scripture inside. Deuteronomy 6 was part of it. Deuteronomy 11, Exodus chapter 13, there's two passages there. So these four passages of Scripture, they'd make these little copies on parchment of those. And then they'd put that in this thing that they would hang between the frontlets on their eyes. Then they had this other box that they would hang over their chest and one that they would tie around their hands. And the one over their chest would have like four compartments, one for each passage in it. Then they'd tie one over their hands. So they literally had the Word of God over their heart, over their minds, and on their hands. Now we don't really find that they actually started practicing that until about the 4th century B.C. So back when God wrote Deuteronomy and told them to bind the Word of God, the commands of God, on their heart and their hands and their head, I think everybody understood it to mean that what your mind, your mind, your heart, your hands, the things you find to do, the things you trying to feel and to think need to be controlled by the Word of God. But they took and just kind of made it a literal thing. And they'd also put ones on the doorposts of their house and put those little passages of the Word of God within that as well. So that was a sign to them. That was an outward symbol of their 
faith of their relationship with God. And so it says they would make broad their phylacteries, make their containers a little bit bigger. Why? Because then they're more noticeable for people to see. It's kind of like carrying a big Bible around with you all the time. That that kind of an idea. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad if you're carrying a Bible with you around all the time. In fact, it's easier to do than ever. It's on your phone. Just load one on there. It's got it anywhere you happen to be. You can read it. But you know what? I remember uh, last uh, year before last, I think, in Awanas, this little Alexis that comes to uh, Awanas and, and release time, and she's just a little sweetheart. She decided she was going to start bringing her Bible with her. And so she went and got a Bible from her grandma, I think, and it was like a big family Bible, like like huge, like. And she throws it in a backpack, and she's packing it all over town with her. It was so adorable. <laughs> and she comes to a lot, and man, I'm pulling out Bible time. It's like takes three kids' laps, I think, just about to open that Bible. And but she's a sincere little heart. I love it. It was just awesome to see that. And somebody gave her a smaller Bible, so it's better for her back. But <laughs> but she was sincere. She was so sincere. But you know what? These people, they were not sincere. They were carrying around a big Bible tied to their chest, on their hands, and on their head, hanging between. You cannot miss it. It's right there. Put it on the doorpost of their house. But you know what? It was just for show. It was just to have the appearance of that godliness. So they're insincere. Not only the insincere, but they're, I call them insatiable. Now what that means is they're not satisfied. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. They love greetings in the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi by others. He said, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's like they're unsatisfied. That is an insatiable desire to be honored, to be glorified, to be to be pointed out. They love the, the best seats. They love the chief seats at the festivals and, and in the synagogue. And, and the word seat there is, we get the word cathedral from it. It's cathedra. We still use a kind of the same way today. When they talk about somebody being the, the seat of maybe the philosophy department in a university or something like that, right? It means to be the head of, hold the seat on the committee. In other words, they want to be exalted. They want to be honored. They want to be pointed out. They want to be revered in their society. And Jesus says, we don't, we're not going to have it. We're not going to have it that way. Exactly what we don't need in a leader. Don't call people rabbi. Don't call one another teacher. Don't call one another father, right? Um, like the kind of the Catholic Church insists on. It makes me wonder sometimes. I look at this, I think, well, you know, a lot of people call me pastor. And, and don't feel bad if you call me pastor. That's, I, I think you do it just to show honor and respect, and that's fine. The Bible, when it uses terms like pastor, elder, bishop, teacher, it, the Bible uses those terms as well. But you know what they are? They're a description of a, of a job. And they're a description of a, a gift. There's a purpose. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that God gave us uh, apostles, and then He gave us uh, prophets, and, and prophets, and He gave us pastors and teachers. And you'll notice there's no comma between those ones because they think that in the language those are supposed to be linked together, kind of pastors, even teachers maybe. But... They're, they're to be servants for what? For the edifying of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, there's a task that goes with that. Being a teacher, a pastor is a servant position. Yes, there's some authority and some leadership involved in it, but it's a, it's a gift. It's, it's an exercising of a gift. But these people were looking at it as a social position, and that is exactly what it's not. It is not that social position. You know, and I've, and I've heard pastors before and stuff and seen pastors that are all about making sure that they're called pastors. And I remember even hearing a pastor say, you don't respect me as a pastor if you don't call me a pastor. You know what? 
I don't care what you call me. Call me Greg. That's my name. It's worked for me for a lot of years. You can you can call me Pastor Greg too. That's 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 fine. I know when when we were raising our kids with our little kids, unless somebody else wanted it differently, we made our kids call people Mister and Mrs. just so that they recognize that we respect our elders and that kind of thing. Just to teach some things there. I don't think there's anything wrong with people calling referring to me Pastor Greg or saying Pastor because I don't think that you're trying to put me on a pedestal like the Pharisees. And that's what he's correcting in this place. But you know what? It's, it's not about titles. It's not about position. It's about, it's about ministering. It's about serving. Which is what? All the way from Matthew chapter 18. Remember when the, the, the disciples asked him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus says, hey, little kid, come here. <laughs> guess what? You guys, aren't in, you guys aren't in the running because that's what you're thinking about. He's not even thinking about that. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom, be a servant. In fact, he tells them that later in this passage. So that's what we see in, in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy can be, is described by, by an, an insensitivity to other people. There's an insincerity, not putting the burdens we put on them. We're not willing to lift ourselves. And there's an insatiable desire for praise. But then what is, what is our responsibility? Where, does, where do we fall in this picture in our life? How do we avoid that in our life? And what is our responsibility towards hypocrisy among us or or around us? Well, as we look at our responsibility, I'm going to point out four things. The first one I'd like to point out is obedience. What are we responsible to do? Obey, plain and simple. Notice what Jesus tells them right off the front. It says in verse 2, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Moses' seat was an elevated seat in the synagogue where the people would sit down to read the Word of God and to teach the law of God. And so it was the, it was the seat. It was, it was like this. It was the pulpit from which they taught the law of God is given through Moses. Now he says the scribes, they sit on Moses' seat. Now notice what he says. He says, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Now, oh, wait a minute. These hypocritical people, we're supposed to listen to them? Notice, notice what he says here. He says they, they're in Moses' seat, so they're teaching the laws of God. So when they're teaching the laws of God, not their, not their tradition that gets added onto it, but when they read to you, remember everybody didn't have a Bible in their house, and they read to you the law of Moses, Jesus says you better go do it. You better obey the law. There are people that are going to be hypocritical and insincere in their faith. That does not give you a loophole to disobey. Just because there are people that are hypocritical about their faith does not give you permission to be hypocritical about your faith. This answers kind of that question. When people say, oh, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, God's commanded us to go to church. Well, then you're you're a hypocrite too by not going. You see, because some people are insincere in their faith does not give us the right to then ignore what the Bible does have to say. We need to follow. We need to... We should be the kind of people, like as I mentioned earlier, that are real, that the people can look to that are, that are solid in their faith, that are unhypocritical, that are sincere. It's what we see in the leadership of the early church. Not that they didn't have their struggle. Even in the twelve disciples that Jesus picked out, we had one traitor, Judas. He was definitely a hypocrite. But as we go on and we look at the apostles, we see sincerity and we see a reality of the things that they believed and they preached and they lived. In fact, Paul could hold that up as a standard. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. The Apostle Paul had been there and administered among them. And he said, you know what? My life is something you can imitate. They knew what he was like. They saw that he was real. And he says, you can, you can follow this. You can follow my example. You know, it would be to God that all of us can always say that to somebody that we're trying to lead to Christ or bring along or disciple. You know what? Just follow me and do what I do. First Thessalonians 
He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. You see, the Apostle Paul, with several different groups of of people could say, I was among you for a time and you saw me, you know I'm real. It's the same thing that he would encourage in Timothy. He'd tell Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. You see, the point that we're making here that Jesus made is that you're going to have hypocrisy in other people. That doesn't mean you can disobey. You need to obey. You know, I remember... On not just one occasion, I can think of several drives right offhand, but I remember thinking about talking about kind of the darkness of our world and how our values seem to keep deteriorating and the world keeps getting a dark, darker place. And then it was in the midst of a context like that that somebody often says, well, then how much more bright will our light look? I remember talking to a... a a youth pastor down in Hibbing. He's at, uh, I don't remember the name of the church. Dan Erickson is the head pastor of a church down in Hibbing. And uh, they, they were going to put a float in a parade in their community during the summer. There's Fourth of July parade or something like that. And and I was talking to the guy and I said, you're going to put a float in the parade? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, what's, gonna, what's the float going to be? And he was telling me what the float was looking like and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, that's that's pretty cool. He said, Yeah. He said, I'm really praying that we get put right next to some beer float or something. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah. He says, man, I just want our light to be shining in the darkest place I can find. See the contrast. And you know what? That's exactly the point. Are there hip- hypocrites out there? Yeah. And you know what? They'll be exposed for what they are. But you know what? You be the real thing. You be the light that they have to be compared to. All right? That's what he's telling us. That's what he's warning his disciples of. But not only is our responsibility obedience, our responsibility is also independence. He says you do have to obey. Do not do what the scribes and Pharisees do. You know what? There's kind of a power to that hypocrisy. These were people that were, they were the, if you want, the, the in crowd. They were those in control. They were those in authority. Those, they were, these people were the ones with position. These people, as much as they were striving for that recognition, they were getting it. And Jesus tells His disciples, don't get sucked into that. It has an influence on people. And people, if you sacrifice your faith for popularity, you're making a terrible bargain. And that's what a lot of times, that's where popularity, that's where the position, that's where the power is, because that's the way the world works. And we should never be willing to make that, that swap. But rather, our focus should be service. Because we read down through the passage a little bit farther, it says, you know, don't be called rabbi. Don't be called father. We're all brothers. It says, Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors. You have one instructor. It's Christ. See, there's no, there's no position that we should be seeking for or striving for. That's not the goal. The goal of the Pharisees was position. But rather, our goal should be verse 11. The greatest among you, your servant. Don't worry about what position you're going to attain. Worry about who you can help. 
Who can I serve? What needs can I meet? How can I cause other people to grow or to come to Christ or, or be benefited or strengthened in some way? That's what our focus is supposed to be. And you know, that's when the church is the most powerful. When the Gospel is going forth, not just in the things that we say, but in the things that we do. That's when people recognize that person's real. Whatever they have, that's real. And that comes lastly in in league with or connected to humility. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We need to not be striving for position. We need to not be striving for praise. So we strive to have position among people. Then in the end, we are abased. We are humbled. God says He will humble us. But God says for those of us that humble ourselves and become the servant of others, then in the end, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And He takes us from here and He exalts us. Don't worry about the exaltation. Don't worry about the reputation. Let's humble ourselves. Let's be real in our faith. And let God worry about the exalting part.